Hello and welcome to Your Money. My name is Susie Jones. It is a good day to talk about money, always. And if you have a financial question for today's speakers, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is one eight 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 six advice You can always email a question to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. And for the next hour, you can text us or call with a question at 651-461-9226. Now, here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, and senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. Hello to both of you. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Peg. Hi, Susie. Uh, good to be with you. Hey, uh, ladies, we're very fortunate to, to have a guest with us today that I want to introduce uh, Frequent listeners to the show, fans of the show, know that we do this periodically. We give an update on where the market has been and where we think the market is going. And at Wealth Enhancement Group, we have specific what we call market movers or things that we identify to try to anticipate where the market's going. Of course, we always have to uh, preface our answer by saying in the short term, we don't know for sure, and nobody does. Anybody that tries to convince you that they do is either misguided or perhaps dishonest because nobody knows what's going to happen in the short term. That said, there are certain things that we can look at and enhance our chances of perhaps projecting where things are going to go and why they've been where they've been. So to help us do that today, Peg, we're we're pleased to have with us, and he's uh, first time on the show, but Chris Armstrong is joining us. Chris is a senior portfolio consultant at Wealth Enhancement Group. He's been in the uh, investment world since 1997, specializing in asset allocation, portfolio construction, and investment analysis. He holds the degrees, get this. Now, Peg, our listeners may not know, but you and I know how hard it is to get these designations. Chris is a chartered financial analyst, a CFA, and also a chartered alternative investment analyst, CAIA. That's a lot of study. That's a lot of school. That's really smart people that get those designations. Uh, prior to coming to Wealth Enhancement Group, Chris was director of investment solutions at Invesco. He was also portfolio manager and senior consultant at Ibbotson. And again, that may not mean much to the listener, but the people in our world, they recognize those names. This is a uh, pretty prestigious, smart guy. Chris, thank you for being with us today. Well, good morning, everyone, and, and thank you so much for the kind introduction. Um, excited to be here, and um, thanks to everybody for uh, for listening in this morning. Um, yeah, so I like start with yeah. So, Chris, I was thinking that um, maybe if you just gave a kind of a broad overview of the world. Sure, sure. Um, well, as we're all pretty well aware, it's been a, a quite a difficult year thus far. Um, the uh, the challenges uh, during the first quarter have continued um, well into the second quarter through April. Um, both both the stock and bond markets have come under selling pressure. Um, I think it's a bit rare to see both of them um, decline simultaneously. We've seen that um, through our clients' concerns, uh, mostly about the bond market, because they're not used to watching the bond market go down um, alongside their, their equity portfolios. Um, and a lot of that has to do, of course, with um, the inflation. The inflation's at its highest level in 40 years, 8.5% annualized um, through March, according to the Bureau of uh, Labor Statistics. 
And, um, you know, this is a very significant event, uh, as most of us have been, you know, uh, used to a pretty comfortable 2 to 3% inflation, which is pretty typical of a, you know, developed economy like the United States. So, you know, clearly uh, uh, an eyebrow-raising event. And, and, you know, some of the things that are causing um, that inflation, which I'll get into a little bit later on, are the, the supply chain issues, which we see in the headlines every day. You know, these create shortages. Um, uh, one easy way to look at uh, how the supply chain uh, affects this is looking at used car prices. Um, just the, the shortage uh, of the essential microchips that go into cars has created a uh, halt in production of new cars, but then, of course, it's created the demand for used cars, and so the price of those are up 40% over the last year. Uh, worker shortages, another factor impacting inflation. Some of that's structural. Some of it's related to the lockdowns and the pandemic. Um, that continues to persist. Uh, the war in Ukraine, of course, that's all over the headlines. Um, what we've seen there, that, of course, inflation was creeping up prior to uh, the war in Ukraine, but that was really sort of the, I don't know, I guess the firecracker to really, you know, set off um, the explosion of, of inflation. And, and we've seen that in terms of the, the current gasoline price spike. Everyone sees that going to the pump. I know it's painful. Uh, and it's not fun to talk about, but it is reality. Um, and also, um, given what's going on in Ukraine, there is potential for some agricultural issues uh, down the road in terms of global wheat production, but also um, fertilizer. Um, and some of those effects will impact, um, you know, planting and potential for the food supply. So there could be some further implications for inflation over the near term as a result of that. But that being said, we do expect inflation to subside as 2022 progresses. Now, um, during the first quarter, we, um, you know, we saw that continued economic recovery seemed likely. You know, GDP had been really steadily improving since the March uh, 2020 lows. However, uh, the last few days, recent uh, GDP uh, figures show actually a decline in the first quarter for 2022. So that's, of course, adding to uh, concerns of a potential slowdown or recession in the year ahead. Of course, that's speculation. You need multiple uh, quarters of negative um, economic growth to technically be a recession. But again, of course, that is going to be um, pricing into the markets and, and people and markets will react accordingly. So nonetheless, we see, we'll expect to see increased uh, volatility in both the stock and bond markets you know, as the world digests that piece of news. Plus, you know, put that in conjunction with higher than average debt levels, uh, inflationary pressures, uh, elevated asset prices. Of course, you'll see that in terms of stock market multiples, low bond yields. Um, but as simply, you can look at either you know food prices, but in terms of asset prices, just look at the housing market. Anybody looking to uh, trade up or uh, sell their home uh, can look at the ridiculous prices of houses that we've seen of late. And then, of course, uh, one of the other you know main factors of uh, adding to market volatility, of course, is the potential for uh, interest rate hikes uh, in the near future. Um, that's it in a nutshell. Hey, Bruce, do you have anything else to add there before I uh, move forward? Well, I'm I'm a little exhausted. Meaning, <laughs> I mean, that's a lot, right? And and our clients are bringing up one, if not two or three, of the general topics that you just brought up. So, what I thought we would do is take a little bit deeper dive into that general introduction of kind of what's going on. And <clears throat> just want to add, I so appreciate you 
um, as one of the roundtable specialists in our investment team, uh, and and that you're going to go through some of this detail because Bruce and I rely on you and your entire team. <clears throat> so when you talk about global economic growth, um, you know, tell us a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, well, when I dive into these um, sort of segments of the market, I guess you could call them the, the seven market movers, understand this is our current outlook. Um, it's subject to change. Keep that in mind. Uh, market conditions change. Underlying circumstances change. So do our best to sort of, um, you know, see where we things where we see things going forward. Uh, so in terms of economic growth, um, we see at least the prospect of that moderating um, since, um, you know, the COVID recovery has started. Um, and there's a bunch of things that are getting in the way of, um, you know, that, that sustained growth. One, rising commodity prices. Of course, this hurts both businesses and consumers. I think for a while, um, you know, businesses have held off um, raising prices in order to maintain profitability and try to weather, uh, you know, bear the brunt of it. But after a while, those get passed on. And so, of course, we see the, the rising commodity prices feed right through into, you know, gasoline, which, of course, adds to transportation costs and production costs. And then, of course, you know, the prices, whether at the gas pump or at the grocery store, obviously impact everybody, and it basically just means less money to go around for other things. Um, rising inflation, of course, we've had really benign conditions for, you know, a few decades, multiple decades now. So uh, rising inflation, of course, is going to get in the way of economic growth, but also it raises uncertainty about the future. Um, interest rates. Obviously, we've had a 40-year sort of period of, of generally declining interest rates, and so ultimately they have to go up, and what we're seeing now is they are starting to go back up. Um, I'll get into this into a little bit later, um, but again, rising interest rates, of course, is going to change, at least for the near term, the trajectory of economic growth going forward as the market adjusts and uh, you know decisions are made, and that will take some time to pan out in terms of uh, longer term in the market's. And then finally, um, the most recent uh, wave of pandemic-related uh, lockdowns in China. Um, these, um, a little surprising, but really the problem with these is that these are going to or could very likely add to the existing uh, supply chain issues that we currently have in the United States. Because you think about if the ports were closed over in China, well, that's months before uh, lots of things will find their way to the United States. And so we've already have things backed up still from the existing uh, lockdowns. We could see, you know, that to sort of uh, linger for a while too, because that's something to consider that that will probably put a damper on, on economic growth for the near term. Hey, Chris, I want to jump in, um, yes. go back on a couple things you just mentioned and, and maybe dig a little deeper. Mm -hmm. So this is based on things I'm hearing from my clients as well as you know, kind of my own perception. But when you talk about um, forecasts being subject to change, or I said at the beginning of the, of the show that we can't know what will happen in the short term, what we mean by that is any, any forecasting or any projecting, let's say three years ago, 
could not have anticipated a global pandemic that would go on for years. So that so that uh, the pandemic obviously changed any forecast or anything that we thought was going to happen in the global economy. Or, or or if you were doing projections 18 months ago, we couldn't have foreseen Russia invading Ukraine with no end game in sight, nobody really knowing exactly what Putin wants and what 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 he will do and when he will get out of there. So those things obviously, you know make markets in, in the economy shudder all over the globe, and there's no way you can anticipate things like that. Well said. Yes, yeah, I spent a lot of years um, forecasting markets uh, for asset allocation, and, you know, a lot of times you get accustomed to sort of what's happened in the past, and and, um, and then something comes along and changes um, you know, your perception of things or even changes how you use that data uh, in terms of your forecasting. So, yes, you always have to be very careful to, you know, be cautious with, you know, any decisions you make or in terms of forecasting. Because, again, it's hard. And, you know, and if you had perfect foresight, yes, you could be a hedge fund manager. As we all know, a lot of them uh, generally don't get it right either. So one of the things that Wealth Enhancement Group does is we have to put assets in, you know, s- several different places right? Because we don't know what's coming. So when it comes to style and factor and, and where we're investing today, can you address that a little bit? Sure. Um, well, um, generally, at Wealth Enhancement, when we look at, um, you know, style or factors, we're really mostly just focusing on the equity markets. There is, uh, you may find elsewhere where people have applied factor investing to fixed income, but, um, Keep in mind with um, with with factors, it's it's they're all a subset of the equity market, and so you can kind of look at it like in terms of the underlying sectors of the S and P. You know, they will all generally um, move together over the long term. They'll move in different magnitudes, and then of course there's periods of time where they will not move together. Um, and I think currently we've seen some of that um, year to date. Uh, all of the um, you know factors value. Low volatility, quality, and size have all uh, declined, which you know doesn't. It's not a surprise given that uh, um, equity markets are down year to date. Um, size and excuse me, value and low volatility have declined the least of the four. Um, large cap has generally been outperforming uh, small cap by about 35 percent or so over the last five years, um, and you know generally. Um, well, we know that small companies, you know, have rallied ever since March 2020, and that, you know they've cooled since the first quarter. And, you know, this is very typical uh, for small caps or the size factor, in that um, small companies generally do very, very well coming out of the recovery, and so this is actually, you know, pretty much expected. Um, in terms of going forward, we think that um, you know low volatility and quality um, factors. Are best positioned to help um, help one mitigate uh, equity risk within your portfolio, uh, and to some degree size, um, to a lesser degree size. Um, you know, given all the risks in the market, and all the you know lovely, uh, very uplifting uh, items I mentioned before, I think momentum is probably not as attractive as it was uh, last quarter. So one of the and, things. Um, and- Oh, I was, go ahead. Oh, please go ahead. One of the things that I think is the most shocking, and I've been in this for decades, and Bruce we, Bruce, we talk about this a lot in that, you know, we've been around a long time, 
it has been forever since interest rates have gone up and actually kind of rapidly here. So we start in January 1st and all of a sudden, wow, the yields on treasuries and municipals and all of those bonds are so much greater. Can you just address, you know, what do we think about that? And is that going to continue? Chris, give us your insight there. Sure. Well, um, as you've seen what's happened in the, you know, the bond market, so the, the Bloomberg global aggregates down about 9% uh, earlier than we can, uh, but through uh, month end price closer to, to 10%, um, given what's happened uh, in the last few days of the month. Now, um, which again, that, that impacts the, the effect of rising rates. And I think it's shocking to most people because they've been used to, you know, generally very stable bond returns and, and, um, but ultimately, you know, when interest rates go up, of course, the bond market's going to go down. They work and they go in opposite directions. And so um, and we've really had a very low interest rate environment for, I would, I, personally, I would say for far too long. And so um, it's very scary, you know, when you get down to very low rates. Of course, at some point, they have to go up, at least common sense to tell you that. Federal Reserve has, you know, signaled attention to increase interest rates um, throughout 2022 and to some degree there's been mentioned um, into next year as well and again the goal is to fight the inflation that we've been seeing but while also sort of engineering what's called a soft economic landing and um, current interest rates do you know reflect these intentions generally you know markets do price in uh, current information rather efficiently um, we we uh, we do not expect um, rates to rise at the long end of the curve, so you know, 10 to uh, up 10 to 20 year portion of the Treasury curve. And so, what I think it's important to keep in mind is that um, you know, really, it's best for us to return to a more normal interest rate environment that some of us have been around while would expect uh, going forward. So, you know, where you have short term rates at one to two percent and, and longer term rates at you know, four or five percent. And you know, unfortunately, the Federal Reserve is in a really tough spot now because the U.S. government really can't afford much higher rates um, on its, its obligations. And ultimately, you know, the market will have to find a way to effectively function, you know, in an environment in, in absence of near zero short-term rates. And so I think that's kind of one of the big challenges going forward. And I think if it wasn't for uh, the pandemic, we probably would have been back to that more normal interest rate environment that we were, you know, kind of moving to right before that all happened. Um, yeah, Chris and Peg, and, and uh, Chris, just so you know, we've got uh, a little less than three minutes before we have to take a break. But the thing I want to mention, and maybe you can comment on quickly, Chris, is we're in a, a very unusual time period also in that stocks and bonds are both down. We tell clients that generally speaking, and there can be exceptions, and this is obviously one of them, that if stocks are doing well, then bonds are not, and if bonds are doing well, then stocks are not, that they have a converse relationship. When they're both going down, the, the poor investor out there has got to be thinking, there's no safe harbor here, there's nowhere to go. Right, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's what we are hearing. But ultimately, we, we do, you do need to understand that as interest rates go up, bonds will go down, specifically if you have longer-dated bonds. So the higher quality bond you have, the shorter maturity of duration you have that the the downside returns are limited there but ultimately keep in mind bonds are meant to be a balance to your stock portfolio so if the bond stock market goes down significantly remember bonds will not go down as much right now they've been moving in lockstep but ultimately 
When there's larger movements, keep in mind that, yes, the bonds will continue to do what they're expected to do. It's just right now is a very rare um, occasion. Okay, so uh, Susie, I, I know we're coming up close to break time. Um, I'll kind of give uh, maybe uh, some hints on what I want to do in the second half of the show. First of all, uh, we'll let listeners get involved and try to answer as many of their questions as we can. But also where I want to go with Chris just a little bit is we talk about you know things like uh, everybody's worried about a recession. We hear words like recession and inflation, and people automatically think that that's bad for the stock market. Not may or may not be true. I want Chris to comment on that. And then, of course, we want to paint Chris into a corner and have him tell us what the markets are going to do between now and the end of the year, because that's what listeners really want to know. All right, and we will remind our listeners right now, if they have a question or a comment, during the next half hour, they can call 651-461-9226. That'll get you right here to the studio where you can ask your question of Bruce or Peg or Chris. You can also text us on that line at 651-461-9226. If you're not really interested in being part of this half hour, you can always call one eight eight. One eight 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 six advice or email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Your Money. My name is Susie Jones, keeping it on the tracks for you this morning. Now, if you have a financial question for today's speakers, you can call this number anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice That's the office. Also, you can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But we have about 25 minutes left to talk together, and that number is 651-461-9226. Here once again, Peg Webb and Bruce Helmer and Chris, and we have a caller, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to take the call. Bruce? Sure. Let me just quickly reintroduce Chris. Uh, If you've been with us for the whole show, thanks for sticking with us. If you joined us late, we've been talking about Market movers are things that we see in the economy. Susie and Peg, uh, Chris Armstrong uh, uh, is a senior portfolio consultant at Wealth Enhancement Group. He's a chartered financial analyst and a chartered alternative investment analyst, and we're fortunate to have him. And I, I think Susie and, and Peg and Chris, a lot, probably a lot of the questions we're going to get from listeners will cover things that maybe we were going to talk about anyway. So, Susie, let's just go ahead and get listeners involved. Let them drive the show. All right. Once again, the number to call right now, if you have a question, is 651-461-9226. Let's take Chuck. He is our first caller this morning. Go ahead, Chuck. You're on the air with Bruce and Peg and Chris. All right. I have a question about uh, investing in bonds. I'm kind of heavy in bonds right now, very disappointed in what's going on. My financial advisor says something about, don't worry about the daily value because we carry those out to term and you get your value. And then another guy tells me that's only if you're actually in bonds, not bond funds. So I'd like to get clarification on that, please. Hey, Chuck, thanks for listening and thanks for your call. And you're lucky because not only is Chris, obviously, uh, as we demonstrated the first half of the show, a pretty smart guy, but Peg is, like I like to say, kind of the wealth enhancement resident bond expert. Uh, Peg, you want to go first and then Chris can jump in? 
Yeah, I, I do hear this from a, a clients uh, a lot because they are concerned about the value being down. And just generally before Chris comes on um, and helps with the, with the question is if you buy individual bonds, and what I mean by that is you're actually buying this bond certificate and you have a stated interest rate and a stated maturity, and a lot of times there's a call feature where they could take it away from you ahead of time, a true fact is if you hold that to maturity, then you are you should get your money back provided you know that it's a high quality um, company or municipal or something like that. When it comes to putting a a whole collection of bonds together in what you're saying, the the mutual fund, then yes, there is probably somebody behind a desk buying and selling those bonds on your behalf. And you don't have really the luxury of knowing exactly what each bond is and when it's going to mature. And by the way, the person who's sitting behind that desk managing those bonds, they can sell off those bonds prior to maturity or buy some, you know, and, and actively manage it. But Chris, I, I would love if you would address, I kind of just wanted to set the groundwork for kind of how bonds work. And then if you could add to that. Well, Peg, I think you, you covered it uh, quite nicely. Uh, yes, you are correct. If you buy a, um, a bond and hold to maturity, generally you're going to get what the, um, you know, stated coupon is and, you know, the higher quality bond, the shorter maturity, ultimately the, 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 the starting yield is indicative of what you're going to get over the long term, or at least until you hold it to maturity. Uh, yeah, I think bond managers will, of course, buy and sell um, underlying securities within that portfolio. So, yes, there's that human element. There's also, um, uh, you know, market effects and in, in, in how they interact or how they react to those, I think. Um, but also remember, though, that bond managers will also have a mandate, too. So they are carefully considering, you know, what their objective is. And so, the more straightforward a bond um, instrument or bond funds objective is, um, yeah, I think you can be safely, you know, assured, assured that, you know, generally the objective is going to be met. But, yes, there's going to be a little bit more uncertainty over the near term. So, yes, you will have that, you know, volatility over the near term. And it will be a little bit different experience than holding a bond in maturity. But ultimately, uh, the more straightforward a strategy is, I think, the more straightforward the, the results will be. I do have one more thing to add, Chris, while you were talking is, when you have an active portfolio like that as well, uh, and, and people see, investors see that it's down, they actually get money in, like new cash to go buy new bonds at the current levels. And the people that are buying today, yes, they're buying at a reduced price, but then they're also buying at a higher yield than you original owners have. But it's in your best interest that people would go buy some more uh, of those shares now, because then you'd participate in the new bonds that they're buying today. So I wanted to add that as well, Bruce. Susie? Yeah, all right. Let's take some more text questions. 651-461-9226. This writer, this texter writes, thanks for the show. Do you foresee us heading into a recession? And if so, what should a person do now with their investments? To all of oh, you. Oh, man, I'm glad... I'm glad they added the second part part I'm glad they added the second part because sometimes we hear words like recession or words like inflation or things that have a negative connotation and we automatically assume disaster for the stock market but 
Peg and Chris, that's not necessarily true. Peg, you want to go first? Well, um, I know it sounds like a really scary uh, word, and I'll probably default to Chris right away because I'd love to get your viewpoint. I have heard our, you know, roundtable specialist, which you're on in the investment department, but I'd love for you to give it to the audience today. Sure. Um, Yeah, generally recession doesn't sound great for for the stock market. Um, Inflation as well, but understand that over the longer term. Um, you know, stocks are a pretty good gauge against inflation. Again, companies raise their prices. You have dividends. Um, you can sort of, you know, weather out the storm over the long term. Um, that being said, um, yeah, there is a, a potential for a higher, um, you know, probability of a recession. So, what you, could you see a, um, a sell-off in the stock market? Absolutely, I think. Um, we've had a, you know, you have to understand we've had a really long period of. of extraordinary growth. And so to think that there isn't going to be any downside risk in the near term, is probably a little bit naive um, to the extent of how bad it sells up. Well, that's another, um, that's another, you know, story we don't really know. Um, but I think if there is going to be a recession, I do think that some other very large, extraordinary shock would have to be the impetus for a very large downward movement, like a credit event, which right now I don't really see any signs of that happening. But understand, too, there is also a lot of uh, – I think markets are a lot more um, resilient than they were in the past. And if you go back in market history and think about who the participants in the market were, you know, before it was predominantly uh, retail investors and the market was a lot more volatile. And I'm talking about pre-1970, you know, pre-1950. Current, current market environment, you have tons of insurance money. You have tons of corporate pension money. Tons of 401k money all invested in the stock market. And so I think – and, of course, you have all the hedge funds and um, players in there and participants. And so to some degree, there is a little bit of protection to the downside. There's always going to be other buyers there, which I don't think those were there in the past. And so when people look back to like 1929, stuff like that, I think people freak out and always think that there's going to be another, you know, horrible, horrible market sell-off. So, but in terms of, you know, how to position your market, your portfolio going forward, I think um, high quality, in the near term, at least in terms of inflation, I would say, um, you know, shorter-term tips probably make a lot of sense. Um, short-term uh, bonds, just to weather the effects of the rising interest rates going forward. And, and uh, but again, I still think it makes sense to be invested in the market. I would never caution any or never give anyone advice to time the market and, and move to cash because that can be very, very, very costly. And especially since markets are very resilient, there's very, very sharp rebounds. And ultimately, uh, people that do that usually time it wrong and then regret it later on. Hey, Chris, I want to ask a follow-up question, and then I want, to, I want to ask also a question that I'm getting from my clients. And, and really, since, the, since with people, you know, most people listening today weren't alive or don't remember the crash in 1929. They've only read about that in their history books. But they did experience the crash of 2008, or specifically that started in the fall of, of 2007 and ran you know, a good 18 months through the first quarter of 2009. They have not forgotten that. And I think people, anytime, anytime there's anything slightly negative going on or any pullback, there's a lot of people that think, here we go again, it's going to be another 2008. So my first question is, do you envision something like that? But my follow-up question is, you mentioned tips, and Peg and I have actually been 
talking about that a lot in recent uh, weeks, but I think it bears repeating again to de- define for our listening audience what you mean by tips. So if you can address those two, that'd be awesome. Sure, I'll start with tips first. Uh, tips are uh, treasury inflation protected securities. So again, they're AAA, they're government uh, bonds, but they have um, sort of a feature in which the coupon rate will move up uh, with inflation. Therefore, you're protected when um, inflation increases. And so, um, yeah, they've been a very strong performer of late. Um, will probably do well in the near term. I'd probably say probably the shorter term um, tips are more um, – they react faster to inflation, I think, in the near term. Those have been performing better than the longer um, – the longer maturity treasure uh, uh, tips funds, which tend to have a long um, duration and, and do get impacted when um, actually interest rates go up. But again, we're talking about inflation. So um, remember, tips protect against inflation, not so much interest rate increases. Um, so that's something to, to remember. Now, in terms of 2017, or excuse me, 2007, 2008. That was predominantly really a credit event that sparked the sell-off, um, and you know that was probably about as scary as it gets. Um, could something like that happen again? Yes, I don't, I don't, I haven't read anything to suggest that that's brewing in the near term. But I think that is something to always consider, and you know, look at the headlines and look at things that involve the banking system and credit, um, because ultimately, you know, stock markets trade off of what's going on in the bond markets. And um, credit events go through the bond markets and then through uh, the stock market second. So, but I think for now, everything looks great. But again, like we said, things can change. Can you let me just add one thing here? Can you define credit events? Like, I don't want people to think, oh my oh. God, there's all these things that could happen. What What do you mean by that? Oh, I mean like a shock to the banking system. So, okay. Um, would be, you know, a very, very large lender going under, you know, a bank failing, um, liquidity problems, you know, the banking system, you know, showing signs of not being able to support itself. That, those were the types of things that, that happened. In, in and and don't, don't you think, though, that because we went through this in 07, 08, 09, that there's some kind of warning shots that we feel like we're a little bit more educated today than even, you know, sometimes when things happen, then you go, oh, that's what happens. Now we kind of monitor that more so than in the past. You hope, anyway, huh, Peg? Chris? We hope so, yes. I mean, again, you know, history does repeat itself. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, you can't control the government and you can't control the markets. Um, so, yes, there are ways to to watch those things in terms of looking at um, different interest rate, um, different interests throughout the bond markets in terms of um, investment grade bonds versus high yield bonds. When the difference between those two spikes significantly, usually that's the sign that there's um, problems in the credit markets. But it's, you know, it's very hard to sort of time those things, and ultimately, I think you know there will be headlines that will probably lead towards. But that will get. I think there's probably more information out there now than there was back then. So I think hopefully we'll have a little bit more guidance, or at least foretelling of, of those types of risks where that probably was not there in 2007, 2008. Can I actually quickly ask you a question that I'm getting 
every other day from my clients is, is so a recession, when you hear that word, isn't the stock market kind of an anticipatory mechanism where when you see the valuations today, they might be already thinking, oh, recession six months from now or nine months from now. Because um, it's hard to just sit there and go, okay, a recession's coming. I think I'm going to get out now and then I'll go buy back in when it's down. You you highlighted that a little bit, Chris, but would you agree that it's an anticipatory mechanism? What, so part of why we're down now could be because the markets anticipate, you know, down the road that it might be rockier. Yes, I think, you know, if you go back in time, yeah, generally you wait for three quarters of negative GDP growth to say, hey, we're officially in a recession and then the market reacts. I think nowadays this information is so fluid that, a lot of times um, things sort of move ahead of the news or in anticipation of the news. And I do think to some degree that is um, probably pricing to the market. Um, again, there's a lot of, you know, fear in the market. And so, of course, people will pull their money up and that will add to the downward pressure on the markets. But, um, yeah, there, there's other indicators that will tell you that a recession is coming. People will probably talk about the, the flattening of the yield curve or the term spread, as it's called, where the difference between the two-year and the 10-year treasury where the yield curve inverts, and generally that signals that a stock market or a recession is coming in the next, you know, six to 12 months. But it just happened recently that, you know, there wasn't any immediate, you know, sell-off, um, but that is one thing to watch, that, yes, that's, there is the possibility that's happening. So there are there's various pieces of information out there, but I think you were correct in that, yes, the stock market is sort of a gauge for uh, the collective, you know, you know, fears or exuberance uh, for the market in general. Susie, uh, any other texters or callers? Yeah, we have a text. Uh, this person texts, we are retired and have money in a deferred compensation plan with the state. Our financial advisor wants us to transfer slash invest that money with him. Should we do it? Thanks, Rich and Mary. Write that this morning. Hey, Rich and Mary, thanks for listening, and thanks for the text. So, Peg, um, um, maybe this is one that you can go first on. If Chris wants to add, he can, but this one's kind of in uh, our our wheelhouse. Yeah, so what I would say uh, is, you know, there's a couple things to look at, and that is if there's some additional diversification. So if I was sitting with a client or a prospective client and they had a work plan. It doesn't necessarily have to be a government work plan. It could be a 401k, a 403b, whatever. I'm taking it from a, a viewpoint of looking at kind of a checklist. And one is, do you have as many options in your plan as you could have if you transferred out, out and then you'd have unlimited options to invest in? Secondly, is there any uh, reason to stay, meaning if you're 55 years old, then you might be able to pull some money out before 59 and a half? So that's another thing on my checklist. The other one is control. So Peg Webb, if you listen to the show, everybody knows I want to be in control. And I feel like <laughs> if I move that to my own individual retirement account, then I have control, whether you hire someone to help you with that or not. You know, that's part of it. And then being able to control the distributions, like when do I want to take income out of it? I highly recommend that people get help when it comes to distribution planning off your retirement accounts because they are taxable. And so I just think it's a good time once you have the ability to do that 
to look at your options and maybe what you do with your current advisor is saying, what are the pros and cons of doing that? Bruce? Yeah, uh, uh, Chris and, and Peg, we've only got a couple minutes left. If Maybe if there's one or two key points you want to share with listeners, key takeaways from today's show in terms of market movers, Pe- Peg and Chris, I'll let you guys have the last word. Well, I'm going to let Chris have the floor because he's in the trenches every day when it comes to these markets. So I'd love you to give our listeners, you know, so just some tidbits to leave the show with. Well, sure. Um, I think um, it's fair to be uh, cautious about the market. Um, I think people need to uh, try to not let emotions get in the way. That's usually when you make the worst uh, investment decisions. Um, yes, there's the possibility for recession. Prepare for that. You know, talk to your advisor. Um, think about how you might be able to protect yourself uh, going forward. So again, it's been a very long-term a strong growth period, so it's okay to sort of, um, if you need to be cautious and you're comfortable doing that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's important to maintain some sort of diversification, don't have, you know, unless you're comfortable with that, you know. It may not always be the best idea to be all invested in stocks right now, but again, that's up for you to you and your advisor to figure out. Um, but again, I think we just need to be cautious uh, going forward, and um, It'll be telling, uh, you know, next few months in terms of what the Federal Reserve does in terms of rates. And, um, you know, I wish I had all the answers going forward, but I think um, we'll, uh, I guess we'll just have to um, be cautious and, 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 and hope for the best. I don't want to make any recommendations to what the stock market's going to do, but I do. I will end in saying that, yes, there's definitely cause of concern for a, a slowdown in the quarters ahead. And so talk to your advisor and, and, and think about um, solutions for maybe mitigating that risk in the quarters well, ahead. Thank you, Chris. And I'd like to just add very quickly here, I know we're coming under the gun, but I would just say your long money is your growth money. Your shorter money is your safe money. Just make sure that those buckets of money that you're confident, no matter what kind of market you're going through, just stick with the plan. Bruce? Yeah, and uh, really, really quickly, I, I will say for, I had some cash for reasons I won't bore people with. The market's down like 12%. I don't know where it's going to be now in the end of the year, but a 12% sale was sounded like a good deal to me. I put money into the market in the last week. Susie? All right, I think I'll follow suit. I'll go get some money, and I will put it into, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at one of my favorite stocks, United Health Group, and I'm going to buy that because it's down 15% right now, and it'll be back up. Hey, there listen, go. guys, good to talk to you this week. Reminding folks, one eight 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 six advice That's a number to call to get your questions answered. Also, yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com.